everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. This is not profitable. And this is when like, you know, we, we were not able to prevent the extra couple of years that our business was on life support. where We were like just trying to hang on. I had agreed to so many things and had so many obligations and I was having such issues with boundaries and work-life balance that I literally just like left the country. Welcome to Hustle & Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we are two sisters who have started multiple businesses together. And yes, it is as messy as you think, because we know that starting a business isn't easy. I mean, we've done it four times. And on this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we love helping small businesses succeed. Whether it's through our venue consulting, speaking, or team training, we love to motivate others to take that really big leap. Or you could just use our misadventures to normalize the crazy that is being an entrepreneur, because every entrepreneur makes mistakes. But we like to call those unsuccessful attempts around here. We know it's just part of the process, and today we're learning from sisters Eunice and Sabrina Moyle, founders of Hello Lucky, a creative design studio creating letterpress cards, children's books, home accessories, and more. Hello Lucky's mission is to support their customers' highest good, as well as the highest good for our communities and planet, for delivering products that support joy, creativity, and connection. And they love to have pun while doing it. Sabrina and Eunice, welcome to Hustle and Gather. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I love that bio, especially the pun. pun. (laughs) Yes, no shortage of those here. Yeah. My kids love puns so much. Yeah. Our sense of humor is permanently trapped in the 11 year old range. It's not the lowest form of humor. It's the most accessible form of humor and the most enduring form of humor. So I want to re- recast puns again, bad rap. Yeah, that's right. I love that. The most accessible form of humor. That's so true. But you're right. It is like an 11 year old. Like that is what that is when she started getting into it at 11. All I think about is like puns. dad jokes. It's like yeah. a bunch of oh, dad yeah. jokes. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So obviously, as we mentioned, uh, that you're sisters. So we love that. Yeah, we love that. Every time we, half the people get it, half the people don't. Like half the people after like interacting with us, they'll ask like, how did you two meet? And I'm like, our mom introduced us at the hospital. (laughs) Daniel was born. They're like, oh, what? I'm like, we're sisters. Yes. So I feel like we always get the either it's, it's so amazing your sisters or, oh my God, how on Mm -hmm. earth do you tolerate working with your sister? Yeah, but it is kind of like that. It's it's just exactly like that. It's like, it's so amazing. How am I tolerating this? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I know you guys are similar in age too. You said you're two years apart. Yeah. We're two years apart. Which one's the older sister? I am. Yes. (laughs) Although my behavior does not belie my age, I'm afraid. Yeah, I will agree with that. Yeah, that is that is exactly how older so every single sibling sister duo that we have interviewed. It is the bossy middle one, the younger one that's bossy, and the older one that's like a little bit Guilty more of a, of, of a free spirit. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's also how my kids are too. My my son is very like rule following, mellow, and my daughter is like a firecracker. You mm-hmm. never know what what's going to happen and. 
very bossy in the best possible way. The best yeah. possible way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit about your background, like where you guys grew up and totally. about childhood, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we grew up in Asia traveling around. Our dad was in the foreign okay. service. So our dad is this super dorky in the best sense of the word guy from Minnesota. <laughs> From Minnesota. Dad jokes, ahoy. Dad jokes, sure. That's ahoy. where we get the dad joke from, for Definitely sure. Definitely where we got the dad jokes. And our mother is, in the best sense of the word, a very tightly wound Taiwanese woman. So, okay. <laughs> like, very small and fiery. So, we were... And super efficient. That's, that's we, we get our efficiency and our crafting mayhem from her. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, it was just, like, this perfect storm of, of like, opposites. Literally, they're, like, opposites. And we were raised moving every two to three years because our dad worked for the Foreign Service. So... Eunice and I were basically stuck together from a young age. And we also get from age <laughs> where there's like a lot of entrepreneurship there. You know, like we would go out like in Taiwan where there'd be like night markets and people like sell, hawking goods by the side of the road and stuff like that. So from a young age, we used to like set up shop and like borrow all our mom was started her career as an Avon lady or was at one point in her career. And so we would take all of her like old makeup samples or like her old costume jewelry and stuff like that and like set up shop and try to sell stuff back to our parents. So <laughs> we definitely like had the entrepreneurial bug from a young age. And again, like we were kind of stuck together the entire time we were growing up and moving around a lot. So we had to adapt a lot. And I just think that's really what gave both of us the entrepreneurial bug. And we can relate to each other in a way that other people can't. And we're used to kind of thinking on our feet and pivoting all the time, which I think also like our childhood really set us up well to go into something entrepreneurial and also like not really be interested in, in stasis and like working for institutions. Mm -hmm. And again, because mm -hmm. we like had so much change when we were growing up, like we just love like how much being a small business owner kind of gives you the opportunity to like shift gears all the time. You have to be really nimble and something's not working and you, you know, pivot and try something else. And like, you know, it's a little chaotic sometimes when we're kind of used to the chaos. So yeah. Yeah. And I think it really taught us to let go. So if something's not working mm -hmm. to just let it go and not get too bogged down and like how things are. I think that's an amazing skill to have. Cause I think even a lot of entrepreneurs in general have a hard time letting go. They have a hard time letting go of that idea or that concept that is not working and failing and you know, they want to hold on till it's last dying breath when they should have let go of it. Like, you know, when it was maybe on like hospice, right? <laughs> so oh, <yeah. laughs> before life support, before life support. Oh, yeah. So I think that's really, really neat that you guys like, got that from your childhood. I guess so. Skill. But we also did make that mistake. Like our, our business. Was <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, it's not, it didn't prevent us from not letting go, but we were a little more aware yeah. of that ability to like just yeah. sort of not get too emotionally attached to where things are. Yeah. So did you guys always know you wanted to go into business together? So did you, obviously you went through school and I don't know, did you guys go to college and then kind of come back together? Or was it always just the two of you from the moment you were adults? Not at all. I mean, we, we totally, I think starting in middle school, like I was always the, the annoying bossy younger sister who was like tagging along with Eunice and her cool friends. So she, she kicked me the curb. She ditched me as soon as she no, I'm kidding. Uh, heart nerd friends. I'm not sure when I had cool friends. But. <laughs> Eunice needed a break. Like we, we went our separate ways in high school and we went our separate ways in college. Like, you know, Eunice went to art school. I went to liberal arts college. Like we both had very different sort of paths um, through our twenties, like our teens and twenties. And it was really kind of by happenstance that we had both ended up back in the Bay Area in our mid to late 20s. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when we reconnected. Because honestly, like we didn't, we weren't really that close in our teens and 20s. I think we were just both exploring and doing our own things. 
and getting into like, you know, relationship drama and following boys across the country, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So one does when one's- Do not do that. That's my recommendation. Do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don't do it. Yeah. So we were doing all that. And then I went to business school. And so I came out of business school all like fired up, like, yeah, I can do something businessy. And um, it was right in the recession. I graduated in 2002. So there was like, mm-hmm. it was post-recession. Eunice had just lost her web design job post-recession. That's like one of the early dot-com bubbles. And, uh, or maybe the first dot-com bubble. I can't remember anymore. But um, I think it was the first one, yeah. Yeah. And then, so I was like working as a consultant, nonprofit consultant. And Eunice just kind of started, she bought a press on eBay and took some classes at the Center for the Book, which is a place where you can learn how to do letterpress printing in San Francisco. And she she kind of just like decided to start a card company in part. Well, Eunice, you could tell the story better than I can. I mean, you- it was a bit of an accident. It was more, I sort of have a tent. I have a real problem with crafting, crafting tools, any new technique. I really love learning new things. Um, so I basically took one class from Center for the Book decided that I was obsessed and then trolled eBay for a press and then finally bought one, which came by the way, it had been run into by a forklift and delivery. And so I had to immediately learn how to fix a 1940s mm-hmm. press, which luckily um, machinery from the 1940s is pretty simple. So mm-hmm. it was all good. But so I started learning to print as a result of this classroom center for the book. And then at the time I was a freelance illustrator designer and I was working at a sort of high-end pet store for extra money. Mm-hmm as one does when one freelances and never knows where the next buck is coming from. And they needed some cards. And so I just sort of fell into it, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, it really was just an accident. I had never had any intention of starting a current company. And in fact, our mother, for like our whole, I mean, for as long as I can remember, I don't know, Sabrina, if you can confirm this, but she's always been like, oh, you should make cards. That'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I always rolled my eyes at her and was like, do you have any idea how many cards I'd have to sell in order to make it even remotely, you know, functional as a business? No way. And then, of course, she gets the last laugh, as always. Right. So- this totally, as moms this do. totally reminds me of, and I don't know if you experienced this in the 90s as well with your parents or whatnot. There was like a, oh, a stamping yes. revolution. Oh, yes. Do you remember stamping? Do you remember this? I remember the stamping revolution. Yes, where everyone stamped yes. and made their own cards and there were these and very it, elaborate stamps. and you had that embossing powder and you used that little oh, yes you used a hair dryer, dryer and, like and it, it like up. raised and it up i bought, I bought that little tool mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. this, <laughs> this is, is what when, it reminds me of yeah scrapbooking was huge during that time yes too. yes, yes. making memories was a big brand yes. Yes. you would spend hours on this card, One card. yes because yeah. you would like stamp it and dry it's like multi-layer stamps and you would like yeah. color it and like yeah. all the things and I can only imagine at that point, like, how would you make a business out of this? Like, right. how would I make money with this amount of hours per card? Yes. Yes. So we ended up down that path because okay. we started out not quite that, but very similar. So we started out with letterpress greeting cards. So I was, I had just got my business degree and I saw Eunice doing this thing. I was like, oh, I can help her because I had business skills and she She's an artist and kind of part of why I went to business school is to help artists become more entrepreneurial and kind of sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, my sister is a super talented artist. Let's help her. And so we started by selling letterpress greeting cards. And this is in 2003 when Facebook launched and we all kind of freaked okay. out and thought, okay, who's going to send cards anymore because mm-hmm. of social media. And then there was the 2009 recession. And around that time too, we kind of were just worried. And so we, we got into weddings, like starting in like 2005, we started doing custom birth announcements and weddings. And this all leads back to the like extremely labor intensive, unprofitable practices that we had for a while because we were yes. kind of 
that had the dubious honor of being like on the cutting edge of like DIY weddings and letterpress mm-hmm. wedding invitations back in the day. So we were doing a lot of elaborate letterpress wedding invitations. We were pitching to Martha Stewart all the time and getting in Martha Stewart weddings. And like, we even pitched Eunice's wedding um, and it landed on the yeah. cover of Martin, Martha Stewart. Oh, wow. wow. My wedding that was supposed to be super simple and low key that just <laughs> blew up into an insane crafting like bonanza. Right. Some Martha Stewart weddings. So I was thinking, this is a great business opportunity. Eunice is getting married. Let's pitch it to Martha Stewart. So like I put together this big PowerPoint deck and like we went to New York and pitched it to them and they decided to cover it. And little did I know it like, yes, opened this huge can of worms, which obviously there were all these like great ideas with it and everything, but we had to start a women's crafting group that met weekly for almost a year in order to produce everything. (laughs) So your women's crafting group would produce the things that people would order from you? No, they didn't order them for us. This was all just for publicity, but all this to say that we did, by that point, we were really known in the Bay Area for doing high-end weddings and doing all the stationery for high-end weddings, including like handcrafted pom-poms on invitations and like hand- which at one point I did put my mother and father to work they were sitting in our studio making like tiny raffia pom-poms for this wedding in Mexico and my mother was like micromanaging my dad like sitting there going no Joe it's not straight enough <laughs> <More fluff." laughs> so yeah as we got into the idea of weddings like we pivoted like we started with greeting cards and we're like you know we're not sure if we're greeting cards are gonna be profitable enough let's go to weddings weddings is a big industry we can do something there and we just it just escalated in terms of like the amount of customization that we were allowing our customers to do and that we were doing for them. Like, whatever you want, we'll do it. No problem. So it did lead us to like handcrafted pom-poms and like hand-sewn, like just rick rack in like an mm-hmm. invitation that's like in a custom box with like hand lettering on it and like uh, eyes and blah 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 oh sabrina remember that that wedding where i i hand braided like um i don't even know hundreds of, of hand braided rope made out of scrap fabrics that i collected correct specifically for their color palette correct and this that's is what crazy. i'm talking about this is yes. anyway so all that say, so you can't you you can only do you can't do anything half-assed in fact it's like ten thousand right. ass like you have to do it like to the nth degree <laughs> Yes. Unfortunately, I think we both battle both perfectionist and workaholic tendencies. I think a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs have that tendency. Like they want to do it all themselves. They, they have this vision, they want to execute it. They like, you know, so there is definitely, there is definitely an element of that, but that all that to say, we learned from that entire experience and realized like by about 2015, we shut down our whole wedding business and we're like, okay, this is not profitable. And this is when like, you know, we, we were not able to prevent the extra couple of years that our business was on life support where we were like <laughs> just trying to hang on you know because at that time- well it's complicated too because at that point we had employees and so you really feel obligated mm-hmm, to take yeah. care of your employees and go as long as you can to make sure they have jobs or at least if you're going to shut it down to make sure they're set up right to go right. somewhere else right easily yeah. you know so it was there's definitely that to consider All right. too. And we had our husbands who are super supportive cheerleaders, but they were like, keep going, keep going. Like, you know, we'll give you a little more money to make payroll. We're like, oh, you guys are such horrible enablers. Like it was, <laughs> but they were super supportive. But so like was- getting back to like that time, I mean, obviously you now have invested like 10 years into growing this wedding 20, business. 20 years. We've 20. been in this business for 20 years. At this point. Uh, no, at that point, 2015. Oh, yes, by that point, 10. So it was like 10 years into like kind of building this wedding brand and this like 
wedding empire you have employees like what what kind of like revenue were you making at that point obviously we can get to the profitability part of it but what kind no, of revenue were you bringing no, it was in? a couple million dollars a year it was not yeah I mean, it was, it was sizable. And, and that was the, yeah. the, the journey of an entrepreneur, right? You're like looking at your top line going, wow, we're wow, pulling two great, million. Yeah. Go. But then you look at your bottom line and you're like, oh, wait, we're losing like $100,000 a year or whatever it is. You know, it's like, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, the profit, the net margins, the margins are so bad. Or like at that time, we were really yeah. trying to, um, a lot of wedding stuff was wedding invitations were going online. And so we were trying to build an e-commerce site alongside our super high end. Like, so we had this high end custom mm-hmm. wedding, but we were also trying to, to meet like the needs of the high tech, like, you know, print on demand, blah, 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 you know, which was definitely kind of where weddings were going at the I, time. We had to invest all this money in tech, which was a nightmare. And also not what we love to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Like getting away from what you're passionate about. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that, um, and we've definitely been at that point too, where you've like put all this effort in and it's seemingly successful. Like you've built this brand to be a multi-million dollar brand at this point. And so many entrepreneurs have been at that point and like one, they don't know their numbers, right? At the end of the day, like it's shocking when you get to the end of the year or they have built this thing that they resent, right? They're like, this is literally, I resent this thing that I've invested so much time, effort and wanted for so long. And it's a hard spot to be in, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. very for true. Sure. There was definitely some resentment towards the end of that particular yeah. chapter. And when did you say, Sabrina? I mean, I was like, oh, I hate weddings so much right now. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. I mean, because you just never know. It, it, it It's somebody's most important day, right? Yeah. So yeah. these are really high for your clients. And for the wedding mm-hmm. planners, they, they, you know, their clients have a lot on the line. They're being paid a lot. They're spending a huge amount. There's all this family drama involved with weddings. Mm-hmm. So oh, just so like the stress. Drama. So like our, it, it was really hard to say no to that. You know, when you know somebody has so much on the line and you're like part of making their perfect day, like it is really hard to say no. So we would have wedding planner. Oh, I have memories. I'm sorry. I have memories of like sleeping on the floor on my dog's dog bed because I was pulling just like all nighter after all nighter just trying to get these people's wedding invitations done Mm -hmm. and then having them yell at me because I was 30 minutes late Mm -hmm. and just feeling so unappreciated. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh. Yeah. Why, oh yeah. Why do I like kill myself? Anymore? Right. Yeah. Right. Or we'd have some wedding planners calling us while we're on vacation, be like, I really mm-hmm. need this. Can you do this? You know, like you just couldn't walk away. And that's pretty normal as a small oh, business. Sabrina, the, the time I took a, a seating chart to France oh, right. because mm-hmm. I was on my way going on vacation to France and on the way to the airport, we discovered something like a seating chart that was huge, by the way. It was like, I don't know, probably three by four feet. Yes. <laughs> this massive seating chart somehow like didn't get picked up by FedEx and the people were getting married in England or something. And we had an employee who was working from the UK and I, she met me in at the Nice airport. And I was like, I'm like calling this massive thing on my vacation and then grabbed it, flew back to London to get, get to this woman. But it was like that level of madness that was happening. Yes. (laughs) That does sound like madness. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes, sheer yes. chaos. It is, really. but you do, you know, when you're that invested, I think that's one thing mm-hmm. that happens as an entrepreneur. You get, you take your business really personally. Like you really mm-hmm. want to stand by what you do. And it's really mm-hmm. hard to let clients down because it's your baby and your mm-hmm. work, your reputation on the line is you're not just working for somebody, you know, so you can't, it's harder to walk away. And I just think that's one of the challenges that every entrepreneur probably faces is drawing boundaries and having healthy boundaries between their personal life and their business. Yeah. And I honestly think it's really hard to have healthy boundaries with luxury clients. Yeah. Truly. 
Totally. I think they're the hardest ones because I, and I, I love like the middle of the road people who like they're, they're spending a decent amount of money and, but they understand that this money can't buy them like everything, but they still buy them some really nice things. Like they have this really great understanding of what the value of it is and what the value of your time is. And they really respect those boundaries. Whereas people who are like spending a lot of money to them and it's maybe not a lot of money to the industry, right? Like they're really stretching themselves. Their expectations are super high or someone who is spending a ton of money, like 500, $600 million on their wedding. They're like, well, I'm spending all this money. Therefore I should own you for this period of time that I've employed Mm -hmm. you. And they don't believe in boundaries. So it's, I think weddings are like that. Yes. But I think any industry where you have to deal with high end luxury clients, I think is hard to draw boundaries. Truly. I agree. Mm-hmm. Totally true. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So yeah. what made you, so you guys decided you don't want to do weddings. Like right. you're like, this is for the birds. I'm done. So how did you transition? Because obviously you had a thriving business and you loved what you did. So how do you transition it into something that you actually enjoy? Yeah. I mean, so one of the things that was a catalyst for us was our children. Like we both had mm-hmm. kids around the same time in 2010 And so by 2015, our oldest ones were like, you know, in preschool, going into kindergarten. I had a third one as well. So it was just a lot. And so how we transitioned was we we realized I hired a life coach, one thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and was just like, okay, help me walk, walk me through this decision. Cause I was the one who really needed to make the decision. Like Eunice was kind of like, I'll do whatever you you think is, I was like, all right, no pressure. I'm just like, I wash my hands of this. Steer the ship. Right. I'm going to steer the ship. Sabrina had the part of the job that was really brutal in terms of like overhead and just dealing with mm-hmm. all the sort of management of the flow of the project. For me, it was just, it was tedious. Yeah. But it wasn't to the level where Sabrina was really just like miserable. Because yeah. Yeah. So to be clear, mm-hmm. Eunice, yeah, Eunice's, Eunice's role is creative director and illustrator. So she basically draws all the time. And is like kind of the, what, what we like to think of as like the golden goose, like the talent that like outputs all of our, all of our products mm-hmm. really distinctive. Like that's what makes our business. Right. And I'm everything else. So <laughs> <laughs> everything else. So, so anyway, um, that was what, so how we thought about it was I hired a life coach and I was like, okay, how can I figure this out? And the first thing that we realized is that, Hey, we have this core business that we started with, which is letterpress greeting cards, which we had been ignoring for years chasing this other thing, wedding invitations, because we were afraid that letter pre- that cards, greeting cards, period, were going to go away. And we just ignored it. And all along, it was just there trucking along. It was doing fine. You know, it was like the one steady, stable kind of cash cow part of our business was letter press mm-hmm. greeting cards uh, after all these years, you know, and it was still not at the scale where we could sustain a business based solely on selling letter press greeting cards, but it was a, a valuable business, right? We had a valuable brand at that point. We were one of the early letterpress card innovators, you know, that kind of went from in the very beginning when we founded our business in 2003, it was just clip art. People are just using clip art. It was very conservative. And then letterpress just had this huge you know, sort of boom in the nineties um, or in the early two thousands, when we started our business, where people were just getting really creative with the medium. It was becoming really niche, like these high-end high handcrafted kind of slow manufacturing that was all just starting to take off. And so we looked at ourselves and realized, oh, wait, actually, we have this business that is that we could actually has value. So we can do something with it. We'll shut down the part of the business that doesn't have much value, which is the wedding invitation business. And we did do things like license our designs to a couple online platforms, you know, just give mm-hmm. our, you know, license our IP for weddings. And for a while, we continued to do weddings with a partner. So we were no longer manufacturing, but we would outsource the printing to a digital printing partner. So we continued mm-hmm. for a couple of years to just continue to service our clients that were kind of middle of the road. No custom high-end stuff, but just like, 
whatever is available on our website. We still provided like limited customer service and printing. And then we were like, okay, we have this green card business. What do we do with this? We don't want to manufacture anymore because we were shutting down our whole facility. We used to do all of our own manufacturing. And so we were looking around for partners. And luckily, you know, over the years, we've made a really good friend, good friends with this, this company called Egg Press, another women-owned letterpress business. We'd been in the trenches together for over 10 years. There was a lot of trust, a lot of kind of, you know, conviviality there. We really liked each other a lot. And so I called up Tess, the owner, and I was like, hey, we're thinking about shutting down. Are you guys at all interested in taking over our brand and manufacturing distributing it for us? And she was interested. It was like the timing was right. She had just mm-hmm. um, acquired a new space where she had all this excess capacity. You know, she needed new equipment. We had equipment we were selling. Like we had a, a really skilled letterpress printer who wanted to move to Portland that she had to hire to then expand. You know, like all these stars aligned where she was like, okay, this is right for our business because we need to increase our top line and find more economies of scale. It, we can do that by just bringing your, your line in-house. And, you know, we needed to get rid of manufacturing and find more scale as well through a partnership. So we entered into a partnership where that's a licensing partnership where they just pay us a percentage of revenue licensing royalties, basically. And at the time, there was actually one other company that we spoke with as well. So we had some choices and we interviewed mm-hmm. the company and just decided that we felt more comfortable with Egg Press in Portland. So ever since 2015, they have been, they basically spun off a manufacturing arm to their own brand. So they have their brand Egg Press, which has been around since like the early 2000s. And then they have a another brand called Egg Press MFG, where they manufacture and distribute our line as well as a couple other lines. And so that worked out really well. So once we had that anchor relationship set up, then we were like, okay, how can we, you know, develop other licensing partnerships? Because we really want to focus on what we love, which is the creative IP part of things. Mm -hmm. Let's think about building a licensing portfolio. And luckily over time, like we've had people come to us, like Paperless Post had already approached us before about licensing some of our greeting card designs for their digital platform. And there were others. So we had a few little irons in the fire. And then we looked around for a licensing agent, found a licensing agent who could help kind of pitch us to other types of partners. And that's how we eventually made the transition was with the help of a licensing agent. So that Mm. that was kind of how we did it. We first took our core business, figured out how to stabilize that, and then like looked at these partnerships and then found an agent to help us make that transition. Wow. Yeah. That's like, I don't even, I don't even think I would even know how to do that. Like, <laughs> well, we made it up as we, we went along. I mean, we, we just, let, by that point, we had a lot of friends in the industry. So, you know, we were able to yeah. ask other artists and people like we kind of just found our agent by a word of mouth. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it sort of just, it was a lot of sort of just networking, soul searching and just trying to figure, trying to just like, yeah. When you were in the middle of it, was there ever a point when you were like, this was a bad idea and maybe we shouldn't have gone down this path? Did you ever doubt your decision? To pivot, not at all. My God, it was such a no, it was so freeing. Yeah. Because <laughs> we basically that. lost all of our overhead. We went from like huge overhead and 20 employees to zero overhead. We were just working mm-hmm. out of Eunice's house. And at that point, I was so burnt out that I told Eunice, I was like, look, I just want to step away for like a year, you know, and just mm-hmm. you you just continue cranking out the cards and doing whatever you do. And I just need a break. I need to just go and find myself and like do some soul searching and spend time with my kids. So I actually did that. Uh, mm-hmm. And things just sort of trucked along because there was no overhead, you know, and, you know, to be totally transparent, like Eunice wasn't paid for most of the first decade we were working. Like, you know, we, we yeah. have relied on our husband's salaries. Like I didn't pay myself either. And that year I was not paying myself. Yeah. I mean, so I was just like, look, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, peace out. I'm going to take a break. And then once I'd had some time to kind of really reflect, then I came back and was rejuvenated and just excited. Mm-hmm keep pursuing. And I think it was really after I came back that we started pursuing the licensing for, for about a year, it was just like, okay, we're just going to let it sort of just 
sit and just walk mm-hmm. away and clear our minds and figure out, you know, just do the bare minimum to keep it afloat. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I was still working constantly, but you probably <laughs> yeah. I mean, somebody had to, right? But I, I, remember, I, I, really, I don't remember chilling out for a year. Yeah, I, I, is like, I, I love that for you, Sabrina. That is not how I recall that. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. No, totally. But I, I really, I mean, I really needed a break by that point. I, yeah. I'd worn a lot. We were both dealing with a lot of stress and working long hours, but just like all the all the business and logistical stuff and the financial stuff was really, really draining. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and eventually I had to, I had to physically remove myself from this country. We moved to France for almost two years um, because I had agreed to so many things and had so many obligations and I was having such issues with boundaries and work-life balance that I literally mm-hmm. just like left the country so I could get rid of a bunch of obligations and totally like retool my attitude. And it really worked actually. Um, but it took that to like cut myself off from the madness. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like two very different approaches, but I think (laughs) at the end of the day, it's the same advice that I feel like when things get too much or too overwhelming, a lot of us, and I know me specifically, I tend to just be like, just burn it down to the ground. Like I'm over it. Like I don't even, I don't care about it anymore. Like get rid of it. And there's so much wisdom and pausing and taking the time that you need and saying, you know, this, I can put this on the back burner for now. It's not going to all fall apart. I'll need to throw it away. There's still some good bones here, but I need to figure out what to do with it and how to grow it and where do I want to go and take that time, whether it is move away, say like, you know, F all these obligations, like I don't want to do this or whether it is to say like, I just need to like totally take a step back, get a life coach for what I'm doing. I think that's such really, really, really good advice because it's so scary to do that. It's so scary to to take a pause in your business because, and I think a lot of it for a lot of us is we're taught, like just, it's the grind. It's yeah. the grind. It's that this is the expectation. You wanted to do this. You want to be the entrepreneur. It's supposed to be hard. It's, you know, you can't let it go. Or like you have so much momentum. What happens if you pause momentum? Then you're going to go back to square one. Like we're told all these lies, I think. Totally. I don't know if it's like totally. to tell us that we have to oh keep going. God. It's like, no, like take a pause, figure yeah. it out. Yes, oh, so totally. I, I feel like the millennials advice. totally have something with the whole self-care thing, like yeah. self-care a thousand percent. I feel like when I moved to France, that was like the lesson I learned that if I took care of myself, like you don't actually mm-hmm. have to work endless hours. I think all this stuff where people are starting to think about four-day work weeks and shorter working hours, it's so good because mm-hmm. I really discovered that you can get the same amount done, if not more and better, if you take care of yourself first. Yeah. So Yeah. But that was a 20-year lesson. <laughs> I, I think too, like, yeah. especially in entrepreneurship, like when you've like started this thing and babied this thing and like seen it grown, grow up as you, as you did over those, you know, 15, 20 years, it's like, it becomes part of your identity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it becomes mm-hmm. like very intrinsic into who you are and like letting go of that part in any way feels scary. Like it's mm-hmm. almost like an identity crisis. Like, yeah. okay, what am I now? Right. But that's so important because the more you're able to detach from it, the, the more successful mm-hmm. you'll actually be. You know, because you're not trying to prove anything and you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it just becomes much more authentic when you're just doing it for the joy of doing it as opposed to because your ego is like attached to it and you have to prove something. That is so true. That is so true. And I think it's I think, too, it's really hard in a creative industry to do that yeah. because your your product is your creativity. So there's it's hard to detach that. Right. right. The your skill and your ability and, and whatnot. So, yeah. But it really does make everything better. I feel like now, like, the joy really comes through in our work mm-hmm. because we just are enjoying what we're doing so much that it really um, just, yeah, just comes through. It's not a struggle. It's not, like, you know, a grind anymore. Yeah. So you have this quote on, on your website, and it says that 
Through our travels and the positive influence of our parents, we adopt we adopted a positive, open-minded perspective that embraces diversity, celebrates humor as the ultimate way to connect and get through hard times, recognizes our interdependence, and values creativity, connection, and community. Like that's like a beautiful, beautiful quote. Was this ultimately the inspiration to that kind of pivot into Hello Lucky? I would say for me, speaking for me, the motivation behind Hello Lucky initially was I did have something to prove, you know, like I went to Stanford mm-hmm. business school where everyone was like super smart and successful and I wanted to do something creative. And I think early on, I wanted to be successful as a profitable business, build a brand, you know, and then and I'm, I'm doing gesturing air quotes here uh, for those <laughs> who are just listening. And then there was always this pressure to be like, you know, have this like hockey stick, like growth and become a big company. And I was really chasing that. I think I was chasing that definition of success throughout the time we were working on wedding invitations. And for me, it was really only after I took a pause and basically reevaluated my life and kind of thought about it. And I got, I got involved in, in kind of in nonprofit work, which I had previously done. So that also kind of filtered in. So I spent a lot of time, like during that like nine month period where I kind of reevaluated, I really kind of did a lot of reflecting and connecting to my values and thinking back on my, you know, our childhood and our history and like trying to connect the dots in terms of finding a really meaningful purpose in our lives, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where that, that statement comes from was for me, it was like taking time to reflect. And there was a, there was definitely a spiritual element to that as well. There was a Mm -hmm. kind of being mindful and looking around at my kids and thinking about the future. And and then also there was reflecting on the meaning of our childhood and it really did connect us with diversity in a really powerful way and community in a powerful way. So it was kind of like almost like re- reverse engineering or reflecting back and like, why am I really doing this? Like really, really, why am I doing mm-hmm. this? And what really matters to me? And so during that time too, I was doing a lot of nonprofit work with this organization called the Mosaic Project, which brings kids together from diverse backgrounds to be together in nature and learn conflict resolution and empathy skills. So that has had, I've been involved with them for six, six years. So that had a really profound impact on me during that time as well. And I would say all of that taken together for me anyway, totally reframed why we were doing what we were doing. We were still doing a lot of the same things, but just with a very different mission and intention Mm -hmm. than we were before, if that makes sense. Totally. I'm so, so glad you said that. Cause I feel like that is lacking in so many entrepreneurs. Like you hear all the time, what's your why? What's your why? What's your why? And the way that people describe what's your why, it's like, oh, my why is because I want to be home with my kids. Not a bad why. Or my why is because I want to retire by 50. Again, not a bad why. But there's a difference between a why and what is your values and your purpose and your intentions and the life that you want to live, like lead, right? And a lot of times when we're, especially when we're talking to other businesses, um, we talk about this a lot in terms of like hiring people too, but like if you don't understand like what your values are, like, what are you aspiring to be? Like, where is it that you are hoping to impact change in your community and the world around you through this business? Then you, you need to figure that out because you are, and I feel like that's what happens. And it sounds so similar to your story that you kind of get off course a little bit to what your initial intention was. And you're chasing that unrealistic dream. You're chasing what this definition of success is when it's not the definition of what your real success is because you never put down on paper or thought through like what is it that I really want like what is it I'm really what are my intentions what are my purpose what are my values what are my core values right so I really love that you said that because I think 
I think so many people lack that in business because all they're thinking about is time freedom, money freedom, and, you know, maybe just to have the flexibility. Again, not bad things, yeah. right? But I don't think it's it serves you in the long run to understand the path you should take with that business. But, but I think, too, because every business is going to go through those times where it is more time, less money, mm-hmm. and not flexible, right? You're going to run up at every point in a business, and it might not be the right way. It might be somewhere in the messy middle. You know, that's what we call it, the messy middle, when you're kind of in those big growth kind of times that you still are scaling and not quite where you want to be that it can't be just about that because Mm -hmm. those things are going to fall to the wayside at some point, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have to make the investment in your business. So it's going to mean less money for you. You're going to have to like pull the all-nighter. So it's going to be less time for you. You're going to be away from your family more. So there's got to be some other reason you're doing this besides those kind of personal gains, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause you need that motivate. You need that deeper motivation to get you through all of those hard times. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. I also feel like it, it makes your business more successful, you know, because mm-hmm. people can see through it when you're just trying 100%. to manipulate or, yes. you know, like there, yes. there was this campaign that we started with Egg Press before I had this shift, right. Which was called right on. And it was like a letter, right. It's national letter writing month. And the idea behind it on paper, you know, or in spirit too, but like, you know, I don't think I really got it until later was to connect people during, you know, National Letter Writing Month and have them write 30 letters in 30 days. It's kind of this challenge to connect. And while we were doing it and running it, it was my heart, speaking again for me, was not totally in it because on some level I saw it as like a marketing effort, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it just didn't have legs as far as I was concerned, you know, or didn't really, you know, people were into it, but it just felt a little inauthentic. But then yeah. afterwards, you know, after I'd taken this break and reevaluated everything, I came back and was like, wow, this is such an amazing program. Like, this is such a cool initiative. And so we really kind of amped it up. We did events, you know, with people um, who um, there's an organization called the Dinner Party, which supports people who 20 somethings who have experienced death or loss, where we got them together and, you know, read letters that they had written or received from people who had died in their lives. Or, you know, it became so much more meaningful and thus so much more successful. It was just, it's just interesting. Like when you do take that time to think about it, it, it gives your product or whatever it is, it, whatever initiative it is you're doing that much more authenticity and depth that people really appreciate. And I think that mm-hmm. that feeds success in a way that is potentially counterintuitive, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cause sometimes it's could be more costly or it could not have the direct ROI Right. right. As just, well, pure production or pursuing. I just, I just think people are like the, where we are in our society and world today, they just crave authenticity. They want the real, everyone's searching for realness. Everyone's searching for something to grasp onto something that they can, they can really believe in. And they, and you look at the people that they <laughs> want to follow and pay attention to and spend time with It's people that are authentic and that are real. They're not, that, they're, that aren't fake, you know? And I, And that's the thing I really, really love about this upcoming generation, as much crap as they're given about whatever you want to stereotype you want to give them. But what I feel like they are doing is they are bringing transparency and authenticity back because that's what they, like, they see right through the bullshit. They're like, that's not real. Oh, totally. It's awesome. Yeah. And they've grown up with social media. Like we're raising our kids. Like they don't even know a life before social media, you know, so like you can see through all that crap so easily Mm -hmm. where, you know, older people are still somewhat enticed by it, you know? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Confused by yes. it, maybe. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
you talk a lot about a lot of one of your core values is sustainability, right? Is is talking about uh, giving back to the community and whatnot. So, what are some ways that you feel like creative entrepreneurs can can do that well? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is obviously looking at your supply chain and your partners um, and mm-hmm. seeing what you can do there. And we know that it's not always realistic to do something mm-hmm. there. So we've had the experience of being with an aligned partner, Egg Press, who has, mm-hmm. you know, their paper is recycled. We got, we went plastic free um, this past year with all of our packaging. So that's great when you have an aligned partner who's really into it and can do it. And then we've also had other partners where they just can't, you know, they're like mm-hmm. Netflix in China and they just can't get rid of plastic and it would just make the, the product too unaffordable, et cetera. So I, you know, I think it's good to hold that intention, but I also think it's important for entrepreneurs to just be, you know, to, to give yourself some grace or be realistic that like, sometimes mm-hmm. you're not going to, if you're the little guy and you don't have any negotiating power and you're working with a big partner, like you're not going to be able to force them. So I'd say that's, that's one way in terms of supply chain, but then I also think, you know, in terms of your product and the message, think about the message that you're putting out with your product, if it does have a message associated with it, you know, so we think about it in terms of, you know, representation in our children's books and the message in our children's book, we try to promote diversity and inclusion there. We wrote a book called Be the Change, the Future is in Your Hands, which is all crafting for social, like for civic engagement and basically social organizing for, for teens and tweens. So we try to actually come up with products that really, um, you know, might be Mm -hmm. uplifting or inspiring to people. So I think that's another way that that you can give back. And then the other thing we've done is, you know, whatever we can, we've done, we've either given directly to charity or we've created like cause pins. You know, we we did some cause Mm -hmm. pins for a while that benefited like the ACLU or Planned Parenthood or, Mm -hmm. you know, and and whatever. It it can be hard in our very polarizing, bitter political environment right now to stand, you know, and to feel like, you're potentially going to alienate some customers if you say something, you know, so it can be a little scary, but at the same time, I think it is a good way to, to show solidarity or, you know, you just have to use your judgment uh, in terms of how you want to be active, you know, whether it be politically or, or giving back to your community. Those are all totally valid options. And I think, you know, your people are your people. So if they're your customer, you can't please everyone. So like if your customer That's right. with who you are, they'll stick with you. And if they're not, they won't. And then there's plenty of other customers out there. So well, I've once heard this, uh, I can't remember, it was on a podcast, but they said, if you're trying to reach everyone, you're reaching nobody, right? right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to figure right. out like who your client is and focus on that. Right. And everything else is fine. Just let it go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Do you feel like your, like your childhood and like kind of experiencing all the different cultures and diversity around you, that it has given you almost like a, a better understanding of I don't know of embracing like that that DNI and like kind of embracing that individuality and was there like a like a shock when you guys came back you know from living so many overseas? different kinds of food in the United yeah. States I, I just remember going to a grocery store I mean like why why are there like eighty kinds of cereal that's like unheard of everywhere else yeah yeah it was definitely I mean I think it was the biggest culture shock that we had was coming back to the United States in part because what Yuna said like. It is, we don't realize how wealthy it is here. And I know that there's a huge uh-huh. divide and a lot of people are struggling, struggling really, really badly in the United States. But overall, it is so much more wealthy than most other countries. People have so much mm-hmm. more. And so that was definitely like the consumerism, like the wealth and the mm-hmm. access to so many consumer goods was definitely something that shocked us when we first moved here. And then also just you know, we moved to Eugene, Oregon, which is like majority white, you know, small college town. And most people hadn't even left the state, let alone the country, you know? So, Mm. um, it was definitely a kind of a shock to kind of, 
realized that there were a lot of people who just were pretty sheltered relative to kind of what we'd experienced and, you know, the amount of travel we'd gotten to do at a young age. Um, and then it was also new to us, you know, to experience all the division within the United States. Like we weren't really aware of how bad, like, you know, the racial divide was in the United States or even socioeconomic divides or even regional differences between like New mm-hmm. England and the South and like all this stuff. Like we just had no idea to us. America was America. You know, we had this very mm-hmm. like superficial view of America from living outside of it, you know, I mean, um, all green from watching American commercials. Like we literally would get videotapes of like Dallas or whatever the TV show from friends and family. And we would like be so excited to watch commercials, American commercials for all these like amazing things and toys and Kentucky fried chicken and like all this stuff. And it's like, wow, this is incredible. It's hilarious. Cause now of course, you know, the minute a commercial is on, you're like fast forward, skip, you know, but it right, used to be like, right. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So it was it was interesting. Yeah. But it definitely yeah. gave, it definitely gave us appreciation for all of the for diversity and inclusion for sure. And also mm-hmm. it, it definitely speaks to kind of wanting to do something that is well crafted, that has value, that's mm-hmm. not just landfill, mm-hmm. that doesn't, you know, yeah. I think mm-hmm. knowing how much, you know, how much less wealth there is in other places in the world makes us want to try to be more mindful of what it is that we do create and put out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super interesting. It's like one of the things that like me and my husband talked about often is, uh, creating a space to be able to travel with the kids for that very reason, just to be able to show them a world bigger than their own, you know? And I don't know. I think that I feel like America it's, it's like a very, me. it's like your individual pursuits. There's not yes. really a, a bigger focus on like the right. community at large or how you are impacting your community. Yes. It's that's more or less, right. how is the community benefiting me? Right. Right. And I, and that's what I really love about, um, you know, other cultures and whatnot is because it is very community based. It's, you know, what's great for one person is great for everybody or, you know, it benefits everybody and whatnot. So I think that's super interesting. Yeah, I do. I think it's interesting childhood for sure. Well, and I love that it's it shapes your business so much, mm-hmm. and it's a way where you are reaching people in the community and you are giving back to your community. I think that's just super admirable. Well, thanks. I mean, it really. I mean, and when we grew up in, you know, there's a lot of conflict in our childhood between our dad and our mom. Like there was culture, like cultural conflict, sure. right? Oh, or, you know, massive culture clashes. Yeah. So I think yeah. it makes us very sensitive and empathetic, mm-hmm. and I think we mm-hmm. try, like with our humor, never to be mean or snarky. You know, like we try mm-hmm. to to have it be lighthearted and uplifting and inclusive in our children's books and our letterpress greeting cards and everything that we do. Cause we're kind of aware that, you know, yeah, there's just a lot of perspectives. You don't want to offend people. You know, someone recently tell, you know, asked me, it was like, are you laughing at somebody or are you laughing with them? You know, it's like you mm-hmm. want to be mm-hmm. laughing with people and getting them to mm-hmm. laugh with you and at themselves in a, in a, mm-hmm. in a positive and, you know, sort of empowering way, as opposed to um, making fun of. And I think that's, that's something, unfortunately with social media and stuff, there's a lot of laughing at and mocking people <laughs> that happens yeah. in our country in Bummer. particular. And like, we're like, okay, that's not very kind. And we, so we try to sort of be a voice of like, to try to tamp down on that tendency, which of course, you know, Eunice and I both have like teenagers now. So it's like that stuff, mm-hmm. rampant, the sarcasm and the snarkiness is like the staff. It's so cynical. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm always like, stop being so cynical. Life is amazing. Like <laughs> We like to ask us, what's been the most rewarding part of starting Hello Lucky? Like what's, what's been the best, best part? 
I mean, I want to say the big, the children's books. I mean, yeah. I mean, in terms of the products that we've been able to do, the children's books have by far been the most rewarding. I would say that, I mean, for me, it's the people, like the people that we've gotten to work with over the years have been wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like family. So I mean, for one thing, Eunice and I getting to work together all this time and be creative together has just been like nothing short of magical. Like it's just so the way that we're able to riff off each other. And then we've had amazing illustrators come through um, and work for us who are now super successful in their own right. We've had just really sweet, funny, wonderful people work for us over the years. So I feel like this sort of little family kind of, and being able to be in charge of the culture that we create has been super rewarding. You know, like I work for a high stress corporate environment before starting Hello Lucky and man, it was such a relief to start our own business. (laughs) And it's so great to be able to offer that lifestyle to our employees as well, you know, and to really focus on work-life balance as opposed to having to be all about the work. It's like everybody who works, they're all women, they all have kids, they all have the flexibility to live their lives and work. And it's great to be able to offer that. Yeah, I love that. I know. That's so powerful. Yeah. yeah. Well, how can people find you guys if they want to connect with you, buy your products? Yeah. Where can they go? So um, we are um, on online at hellolucky.com and on uh, Instagram at Hello Lucky Cards and Hello Lucky Kids. Um, okay. And that's pretty much it. You know, that's how they find us. And, and um, we also have some kind of exciting new things coming down the pike that we're yeah. we'd love to kind of just, just put a plug in for and share. We have um, our first graphic novel, The Cosmic Adventures of Astrid and Stella for early readers is coming out in September. Um, wow, we also, fun. Yeah, we also have- Very exciting. Very that. exciting. That's with Abrams Books. And um, we also have a board book version of Thanks a Ton, A Book of Gratitude, which is a book that we published mm. picture book form about a year ago. And we're now coming out with a board book version of it. And then we also have a really cool advent calendar um, with workman books called Tis the Season for Elf Care. And it is a advent calendar for people like us. And you can pop out each, it's a bunch of ornaments and you pop out an ornament for each day as you're counting down to Christmas. And underneath the ornament is an elf doing, performing some lovely self-care act. And once you pop the cap, the ornament out, you see a suggestion for self-care in there to keep us all sane around the holidays. So that's really excited about too. So yeah, those are, those are some of the things that, that we have coming out this fall. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to go check it out. Yeah. yeah. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for your time today. This has yeah. been a wonderful conversation. You've been so inspiring. Thank yeah. you guys really so much. It's, it is always so gratifying yeah, so to connect with other fellow entrepreneurs and just share stories yes. and, and share our, you know, the, the ups and the downs. Cause it is, there's a lot of ups and downs, but it is really, you know, I could, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been such right. a gift to be able to, to do what we do. Thanks everyone for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. For episode with Sabrina and Eunice, we are drinking Sabrina's famous lemon drop cocktail. We hope we get the chance to make it this week and cheers to pivoting. To learn more and connect with Sabrina and Eunice, you can visit their business on Instagram at HelloLuckyCards and at HelloLuckyKids or visit their website, HelloLucky.com. And to learn more about our hustles, visit us on the gram at CND Events, at the Bradford NC, at Anthem.House and at Hustle and Gather. If you're interested in learning more about our speaking, training, or venue consulting, head to our website at hustleandgather.com. And if you love us and you love this show, we'd be more than honored if you left a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Your Fluence. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we'll talk with you next time on Hustle and Gather.